Amen. Hey guys, y'all grab a seat. My name is Will Cook and I serve as a student pastor here. And this morning, I have the privilege of standing before you and focusing solely on Christ alone. And really, this is not too terribly far off from any other Sunday morning. We belong to a local church where Christ is preached passionately and boldly. And I thank the Lord for that. We strive week in and week out to live under the the reign, to live under the rule of Christ, to make him the affection of our hearts. And no, we don't do this perfectly, uh, but by God's grace, we're getting better and better and better at reciprocating God's love for us, the love that sent Christ to be our sacrifice. So this morning, it is solus Christus, and uh, there's a couple of different ways I've heard that pronounced, so... Uh, just bear with me. I'll, I'll probably make up my own pronunciation. You can take the boy out of the woods, but you can't take the woods out of the boy, right? Um, I, I was reminded as I was going through this study of a story, an incident that happened a couple years ago. And so I reached out to Player Daddy. That name just rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? Player Daddy. And I said, hey, Andrew Player, can I have your permission to tell this story? It involves Player Daddy and Clint and a little bit Kalen as well. But Clint has this awesome painting uh, in his office, Sola Deo Gloria, which is um, grace alone, right? The grace of God alone. And so Andrew Player was walking by Clint's office one day, and he noticed this beautiful artwork on Clint's wall. So he stopped Clint, and he said, man, that is a cool painting. What, what is that? And Clint said, oh, that's Latin. That's, that's Latin uh, for uh, grace of God alone. The player said, oh, oh. So is your wife Latino? <laughs> and I love that. And so with permission from Player Daddy, I tell that story. Uh, truth be told, though, how many of us thought as we're reading these Latin phrases, these, uh, these bedrocks of the Reformation, have we wondered, okay, Latin, Latino, is there some tie-in there? <clears throat> not exactly, not exactly. Uh, just last week, we were blessed to play host uh, to about 100 kids, give or take. We had about a, 100 kids playing football in the mud, and then we had more who came out to spectate, and their parents, and their family, and their friends, and we had uh, teams, I just mean volunteers coming out of the woodwork. And let me just say again, thank y'all. Everyone who volunteered, everyone who helped prep, everyone who helped clean up, and everyone who served in the middle, thank you. Mud Bowl uh, requires servant-hearted men and women serving day in and day out to pull that off, and and I'm so grateful for y'all. But we had teams of volunteers. We had 100 kids. We had a pit full of freshly churned and stank mud, and we had hot dogs as far as the eye could see, and it was a wonderful, wonderful event. And uh, we would be remiss if we took this event and avoided preaching the gospel of Christ, right? As gross as Mud Bowl is, it would be even grosser of us to host Mud Bowl, to have these hundreds of people on our campus and miss the opportunity to preach about Christ. 
And that's exactly what my good friend Dakari did. You can see Dakari in the picture there. He's up on the Swillies trailer and he's wearing the red shorts and you can see 150 or 200 people just gathered around him as he's preaching about Christ. He's preaching about how Christ takes messes and cleans them up, how he takes crooked people and uses them for straight purposes, and it's Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone, right? And y'all, we live in a culture, in our Bible Belt culture, where so many people, so many people in our community are attending a local church today. And these local churches can be as different as the planets in the solar system. Some local churches are faithful to preach solus Christus, and some are faithful to preach human moralism, good deeds, puffing yourself up with your own ability to do the right thing. Y'all, we must land at solus Christus, Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone alone. So these students came out, they heard the gospel, and many of them were our, our own students here. Uh, the, the 229 student ministry was very well represented. And one more time, how about a shout out to our students bringing the trophy back home? They did fantastic work. Fantastic work in that. Um, but our kids get it. They do. Man, I'm with our, our kids week in and week out, uh, Wednesday evening and Sunday morning, and then our special events that we have. I, I disciple kids. I uh, get to lead discipleship leaders as they are discipling other students. And I got to tell you, man, our sixth graders, seventh graders, on up to our seniors, they're getting it. They're soaking it up, and they realize that this life is about Christ. Many of them are the spiritual leaders in their house. It breaks my heart to say that because I believe the best and truest form of ministry takes place in the home through the midst of the family, through the midst of uh, mother and father breaking open the word and living out the word for their kids to see. But I got to tell you, I'm also humbled and impressed that these kids are the spiritual leaders in their home when they have to be. They're the ones who are the forerunners of the gospel. They're the ones who are the ambassadors of Christ. They're the ones who are the ministers of reconciliation among their parents, among their siblings, among their uh, extended family members. They're taking the gospel into their classrooms. They're taking the gospel among their band members and football teammates and uh, you name it, fill in the blank. These kids are passionate about Christ because they're passionate about what Christ has done for them. And before you say, well, they're kids, Eh, they haven't really lived life. They don't, they don't have the weight of pressure. You know, I've got to provide for my family. I've got to punch the time clock eight to five every day. I've got to make sure supper's on the table. I've got to make sure uh, that my kids are dressed and sometimes clean out their ears. I've got to do all these things, right? But, but listen, guys, these kids, man, don't play that comparison game in your mind because these kids, they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. I, I tried to write down a few, a few things that I know our students are dealing with on a daily basis. This is not conjecture. This is fact. We have students who have unchristlike friends. We have students who live in a world of peer pressure where their associates are posting selfish, materialistic images on social media. Challenging our students, hey, your hope doesn't have to be in Christ. It can be in selfishness and materialism and 
trying to make a name for yourself. We have students whose friends are spending their money to trick out their cars, buy really high-end clothes, uh, buying the latest gadgets and gizmos, once again, reinforcing the worldly message that you don't need Christ, you just need nice stuff, right? We have kids who have friends that are watching sexually explicit content on their smartphones and on their computers and on their television saying, you don't need Christ alone, you just need to fulfill your sexual desires. We have kids whose friends are taking pleasure in underage drinking and drug use. We have kids whose friends are gossiping about who's dating who and who's pregnant and who's wearing fake name brand uh, sunglasses and who's getting asked to the dance and who's not getting asked to the dance. And all of this is taking place as distractions pulling at their heart. The magnet is drawing them away from the truth the Bible teaches that says Christ alone is enough. And so before you begin to say, oh, well, the kids are doing good because they don't have the weight of the world on their shoulders, try again. Because these kids are in the midst of the same types of temptations and pressures that you and I face daily. Can you relate to any of those struggles? Can you relate to a world, a culture against you and the message of Christ that is striving to pull your heart away from the gospel-centric teaching that says Christ alone is enough? I like to say it this way. Our kids are pursuing God joyfully because they are really grabbing onto the biblical truth which teaches their lives matter not necessarily because of what they can do for God, but precisely because of what God has done for them and all of us. It is Christ alone who saves. It is Christ alone who is worthy of our deepest affection, our worship, and yes, our entire lives. Solus Christus. On October 31st, in the year 1517, Martin Luther nailed his exegetical work, famously known as the 95 Theses, to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. In large in part, this was the major catalyst that pushed the Reformation ahead. Martin Luther, in his work, challenging the Catholic papacy, challenging their doctrine, challenging their right to indoctrinate the people, this was really what sparked the Reformation and this is what he said in his words. No pope, no priest, no pastor, no prayer, no penitence, and no other person outside the Christ will ever have the ability to save humanity from the wrath of God. Solus Christus, Christ alone. You see, Martin Luther was up against a wall, an impenetrable wall. And this wall was centuries and centuries and centuries deep of heretical teaching. The church in Luther's day and for centuries before held a tight, suffocating grip on their people. The Roman Catholic Church in this time had great political power. They had the power to turn even kings and queens. In fact, large in part, it was the Roman Catholic Church that influenced the law of their day. Now, I claim to be no expert on Roman Catholicism, so if you would like to educate me, I would love to learn more. In my study time over the past couple of weeks as I've been researching this, I have tried and uh, 
strived with much intentionality to filter the material that I've studied to make sure that it is as accurate and truthful as possible. That being said, the clergy of the church in Rome was well-educated. They were the smartest of the smart. They were the brightest of the bright. They knew their uh, Bibles upside down, inside out, and backwards. The public, however, the commoner, the layperson did not. Education wasn't uh, widespread. In fact, most commoners could not even read the letters of their native language, much less read the Latin Vulgate, the, the Catholic Bible. In fact, the clergy taught that for a commoner to read the Bible was an abomination. It's heretical. The Bible is only to be read by clergy. And as a result, they were able to teach exactly what they wanted to teach, regardless of whether or not it was truthful. Because of this, people were made to believe in and buy into, literally buy into, false teachings that directly profited the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, the papacy established a system of sacraments which they taught helped the people gain favor with God. And so here are some of the sacraments that the Roman Catholic Church taught during the time that Martin Luther was nailing his 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. They taught that baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, confession, penance and indulgences, extreme unction, matrimony, and on and on and on. There were several more that could have been added to this list. These things helped a person gain favor with God. It wasn't just that we do these things because we have earned God's favor through Christ. It wasn't just that we do these things because we love God out of a pure heart with joyful intentions. No, we do these things because we need more of God's favor. And you see, that's a reversal of the gospel. That is heresy. No doubt, as you look at this list, you see some familiar terms. You probably have noticed that even in this church, Perimeter Road Baptist Church, that we practice some of these things. Now, a key distinction here is that we do not refer to these as sacraments. We call them ordinances. And one of the primary reasons we do that is because we do not believe that these practices hold any power of salvation, that these things cannot make us more right in the eyes of God the Father, that doing these things does not make us more likable to an almighty God. In fact, we believe because the Bible teaches there is nothing we can do, there is no work, there is no uh, act of obedience, there is no good word we could say, there is no act of penance we could perform that could ever make us more right in the eyes of God the Father than what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross at Calvary but you still see baptism, you still see the Lord's Supper, and yes, holy matrimony. And we're thankful for these ordinances, right? We are thankful that we get to participate obediently in the act of baptism. We are thankful that we get to participate in the Lord's Supper, in communion, to be reminded of all that Christ has done for us. And husbands, we are thankful that we have participated in holy matrimony. Can I get an amen? Maybe a little more enthusiasm next time. The scriptures do not, 
And let me repeat that. The scriptures do not give us a gospel teaching that you or I or any other person who has ever been created in the image of God could ever do anything in our own power to gain acceptance from God the Father. Is baptism important? Yes, absolutely. But it does not bring a person to salvation. It is an outflow of salvation. There is nothing spiritually powerful about physical water. In fact, my kids, Liam, Layla, and Landry, they take a bath every day. All right, most days. But I can guarantee you without a moment of hesitation that by, by me pouring water over their head or submerging them, submerging them at the bottom of the tub for a few minutes, a few seconds, that those kids, <laughs> those kids are not any closer to God. Physical washing is of little use if we have not been spiritually cleansed by the blood of Christ. I love the way one pastor puts this. His name is Dr. Steve Lawson, and he says, the Roman Catholic Church said salvation is by Christ and. The Reformed Church says salvation is by Christ alone. At the end of the day, we must hang our hat on that very theology. Christ alone. Nonetheless, the Roman church in the day of Luther kept their grip on the necks of its people suffocatingly tight. And they only loosened their grip on their parishioners long enough, long enough for them to breathe if they would meet with the priest for confession if they would meet with the priest to give their money to the church, if they would follow through this line of sacraments, 2AT. And the more you study this, the more you become appalled at the heretical teachings that the people embraced because they knew no better. In fact, one scholar reports that there is an old Catholic song from the 1500s that went like this. As soon as gold in the coffer rings, the released soul to heaven springs. You see, the idea was, if you had sin in your life or if a friend of yours or a family member's had sin in their life, you could go and meet with the priest. He would be your mediator. He would be your go-between from your sin or your family member's sin or your friend's sin and to a holy God. And he would listen to you if you had money. If you had a friend die in their sin and you thought to yourself, they probably didn't make it to heaven, then the Catholic church would teach, well, they're in purgatory. And if you want that person to make the leap from purgatory to heaven, then show us the money. You see, for the Roman Catholic church, paying money equaled a get out of eternal jail free card. What a shame. What a shame that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people were brainwashed by a religious system bearing the name of Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Reading again what my friend Troy Crow has already read. 
says as follows, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, salvation is absolutely not Christ and. Salvation is absolutely not Christ and making sure you say a proper prayer. It is absolutely not Christ and making sure you tithe exactly 10% of your earnings. Salvation is not Christ and making sure you're doing the right Bible study month in and month out. Salvation is not Christ and making sure that your church attendance is up to snuff. Salvation is Christ alone. We believe in Christ alone. Nothing else comes close. Christ alone is spotless. He is sinless. He is our Savior, and he alone was sent to save. Yes, you have an advocate, and to be certain, his name is Jesus Christ. The Word of God has made it crystal clear that to preach salvation by any other name, any name under the sun or anything under the sun is not only pointless and presumptuous, but it is downright prideful. So let's ask the question, does your daily living reflect a heart that is devoted to Christ alone or a heart that is devoted to Christ and? This is your question. You answer this, you plunge the depths of your soul and you ask yourself the sobering question, do my practices reflect the theology of Christ alone? Or do my practices reflect the theology of Christ and? If you'll remember in the book of Exodus, God's people were between a rock and a hard place. They were enslaved by the Egyptian people and Pharaoh was forcing them to be his slaves. And finally, God raised up his mighty mouthpiece, Moses. Moses was not only a spokesperson for God, but he was also the representative of his Hebrew people. And through many miraculous works, God demonstrated his power to the nation of Egypt. But time after time, his message fell on deaf ears. Pharaoh was unrelenting. And so fast forward to the 10th and the final plague, Exodus chapter 12. You will remember that God gave Pharaoh a stern warning. Pharaoh would not release the people. So he instructed Moses, Moses, as my mouthpiece, tell the people that tonight I will sweep through the encampment and my Holy Spirit is looking for one thing. I'm looking for the blood of the Lamb. Tell the fathers to take the blood of the Lamb, to believe in it and to apply it faithfully to their homes. And so it was done. And that night as the Holy Spirit moved in and out of the encampment, 
all the firstborn who were without the blood of the lamb perished under the mighty hand of God's wrath. Now today, God is sending that same message to us. It's only by faith in the blood of the lamb, but we are not looking at a sheep or a goat. No, we are looking at the eternal savior, the eternal lamb, Jesus Christ himself. And his blood must be spiritually and faithfully applied to our hearts. You can put as much blood on the doorpost of your home as you want, but friends, I'm here to tell you that will not earn you favor with God. The only thing that will give you right standing with God the Father is if the blood of his son, the lamb, is applied to your heart. We must turn to Jesus as our advocate to make propitiation for our sins, to raise us up on the last day and to cover us with his perfect blood so that God the Father sees his supremacy instead of our sinfulness. Solus Christus. John chapter 14, verse six, and Acts chapter four, verse 12, and 1 Timothy chapter two, verses five through six, reiterate the heartbeat of the biblical narrative. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Dr. Luke would say in Acts, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Finally, Paul writes to Timothy, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Friends, do you hear it? Can you see it? And most importantly, will you believe it? The poison of sin that competes for our hearts typically tries to pull us in one of two directions against this gospel truth. Those directions are too good and not good enough. When we come to the realization that Christ alone is our savior, then these evil, poisonous, sinful teachings that tell you you are too good for Christ or you're not good enough for Christ, fall by the wayside. Let me explain. On the one hand, I have counseled and prayed with many a person who has believed in Christ only after believing that they were good enough. They saw their lives as very adequate. Maybe this categorizes you or someone you know. You know good people. Around here we have a saying for those people, they're good old boys. Well, you know that old Billy Bob, he's just a good old boy, man. Tell you what. Their lives are very adequate. In their minds, they had seen bad people and they knew from firsthand experience that their life was way better than just about anyone else. These people are fair, nice, gentle, hardworking, nonviolent, sexually pure. They avoid profanity and they are all around decent people. They're good enough in their eyes. They measure up in their opinions. Folks, is this not the story of the rich young ruler? Is this not the story of the prodigal son's oldest brother? 
Are these not the stories of the seemingly countless Pharisees who encountered Christ during his earthly ministry, where they said, we don't need you, Christ. We are good enough. Look at how awesome we are by upholding these Old Testament laws. We are good people. Nicodemus got it. He came to Christ out of his good enough attitude. Secondarily, or on the other hand, I categorize myself into a group of people who felt before Christ and sometimes still feel now as though I am not good enough for God to save. Maybe you relate. You've got a laundry list a mile long of evil, rotten, sinful decisions that you've made in your life. You despise your past. And truth be told, you're not too crazy about your present. In your eyes, you've forgotten about more things you've done than most people will ever do in a lifetime. Your soul is leaking with secrets and shames and sins. How, you ask, can God ever accept me? How can he love me? How can he like me? How can God save me? Friend, was this not Zacchaeus? The outcast, cheating, conniving tax collector who stood far off from Christ? Was this not the woman at the well who bounced around from lover to lover and husband to husband and again tried to avoid people, especially the Christ? Was this not Peter, Christ's own disciple, who denied Christ three times and perhaps the time of Christ's greatest need. Y'all hear me out on this. Salvation, being made right with God, being justified, being pured from your sin, being made holy and acceptable in the eyes of our creator does not hinge on anything you do or don't do, but it hinges completely on what Christ has done for us and whether or not we believe Christ alone. The sinner finds real eternal salvation from God's wrath against sin revealed in the Holy Scriptures alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This is the outcry of the Reformation, and this is God's outcry to us now. Will we believe? So you say, well, if all I have to to do in order to be saved is believe, then why bother with all these commands? You know, I come to church regularly. Okay, I come to church once a month. I mean, that's regular. And all I hear is just how evil and rotten I am and how I'm just a bad person. And if I'll just follow these rules by the book, you know, the ABCs of Christian living, don't drink too much, don't cuss too much, and stay faithful to my spouse, then I'll be a good person, right? So. So if all I have to do is believe, can I just forget about all these rules? Can I forget about God's commands? Do I really have to strive for holiness in my life? I mean, if God's rules and regulations cannot cross me over from this life to the next, which is what you're saying, that I can follow the rules all I want, but they cannot save me, then why, oh why do I need to pay any attention to God's commands? Brother and sister, 
if, and I realize that is a very big if, if you are a born again, believing, faith-filled child of God, it is not because you miraculously stumbled upon enough willpower self-control, or even motivation to follow God's rules. It is precisely because you have become miraculously hit with the Mack truck of grace, wherein the Holy Spirit proved to you by the rules, by his commands, that you can never measure up, that you will always fall short of God's holy standard. Thinking sin and speaking sin and doing sin and having sin reside in your soul is enough to condemn us for the rest of eternity. But God doesn't just stop by proving to us that we're sinners deserving of hell. What he does is take it the next step further and by grace, he reveals to us the truth of scripture that says Christ alone can save. It's not by rules. But when you are saved, when you taste and see the goodness, the joy, the life of salvation, you also taste and see the goodness and joy and life in God's commands. You realize that God's commands are there for multiple purposes because he has called you to shine out as his light, hearkening to a lost and dying world that there is more than meets the eye to this life that materialism or sexual gratification or pride or climbing to the top in your career or any of these other things will not satisfy. But follow the light. Watch me. Watch me as I try day in and day out to reflect the love of God in my life. And you do that joyfully because of all that has been done for you you realize in those moments that God truly does have your best intention at heart. And it isn't just your happiness, but it is his glory. You see, our lives, when they become turned over to Jesus Christ through salvation, no longer belong to us. We give them back to God. We serve a all-surpassing, limitless, matchless, spotless, sinless Savior. And he deserves our very best. So this is salvation. Not that we first became obedient to God's law, but that we first became overwhelmed with God's love. So you ask, how can the holy of holies, the king of kings, the great I am, the wonderful counselor, the Jehovah Jireh, the creator and sustainer, the Messiah, the Emmanuel, the rose of Sharon, the root of David, the mighty and matchless God of the universe, ever stoop so low as to extend his hand to us so that we could be pulled out of the miry, mucky pit of sin and shame? It's by grace. By grace, God sent his son Christ to be the propitiation for our sins, that we could look up and see life again, that we could look up and have life again, that we could look up and experience life with God. This is grace. If you have experienced this, then you are a son and daughter of God. This is why in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, the author says, my little children, as we were up in our loft this Wednesday night, we have been going through the book of 1 John. And I told my kids, if you've ever seen a quail or a, a, a mother hen call out to her chicks and she spreads her wings 
and they instinctively know, run to refuge. And those chicks don't miss a beat, man. They, they go to that mother hen and they get under her and they're uh, trying to get as close to her legs and she plops her wings over them and she covers them. She's there, she's protecting them. She is their salvation. In this scripture, we see God saying, my little children, stay close to me, close to my son, Christ, because Christ alone is your refuge. Christ alone is your salvation. Don't look to anything else. Don't try to find cover under any other branch. Don't try to find cover under any other rock. Don't try to crawl into a hole. Come to your true refuge, my little children. On the front of your bulletin, you have a quote there from Martin Luther. Well, it's kind of a quote, he spoke German. But he says this, I must listen to the gospel. It tells me not what I must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. Do you hear it and see it and believe it? He is worthy of worship. So I'll ask again, does your daily living reflect a heart that is devoted to Christ alone or a heart that is devoted to Christ and? What have you possibly and sinfully allowed to compete with Christ in your life? So in an effort to be real and authentic, I just, I just tried to, to pound my brain and ask what are some things that we as people in our culture in this church likely deal with what are some things that we allow to, to compete with Christ in our hearts? Is it companionship with another person? Are you so lonely that you have not looked to Christ, but you're looking to someone else? Maybe it's a spouse, or maybe it's the idea of a spouse, or maybe it's just a friend. Listen, those things aren't bad. They're not bad, but they're not Christ. It's not Christ and, it's Christ alone. Have you looked for status or security in your job? Again, not necessarily evil. Husbands, work hard. Wives, work hard. But it's not Christ and your job. Are you, pardon the pun, banking on money to be your refuge? Do you get stressed out when you have to dip into your savings and cover an unexpected bill? Do you lash out at your spouse when you check and see a shopping spree occurred last week? You had no idea about it until now. And you really wanted a pair of new hunting boots. My wife and I have not been there. We, this, I'm just making this up, make believe. Does money control you or does Christ alone control you? Have you been far off from Christ because you're holding a grudge? Because somewhere along your life, someone deeply and grossly offended you and you can't let it go. And you hear the Holy Spirit calling you to forgive, but you just can't do it. 
Is it the pursuit of the right college degree? Is it trying to make the best grades in your class? Do you have an idol relating to any type of sexuality? Are you more concerned with the opinions other people have about you? Or are you focused only on what Christ knows about you? Is church attendance more precious to you than Christ? Is learning theology or serving in the church or becoming a missionary or fill in the blank more important to you than Christ? And listen, folks, if these things don't resonate with you and you're saying, Brother Will, I hear you and, and I'm tracking. Man, I, I wake up and it's all about Christ alone. Christ, I, I get it, man. I, I preach the gospel to myself. I read the gospel. I'm striving to live in that grace. I'm trying to rest in the, the work that Christ has accomplished for me. Then I would say this. The evangelistic and missional implications of the theology of Christ alone are clear and overarching. If you believe in Christ alone, then you must look into your community and realize that there are countless men and women who do not. That gives you a task, a joyful task to make the name of Christ clearer than ever to their hearts. You serve joyfully. You take time out of your schedule to give selflessly. And when the opportunity presents itself, you preach faithfully what Christ has done for you. All of salvation, from the very first moment, you remember the gospel. You remember the Spirit of God calling out to you. Yes, all of salvation, from this day now and all days moving forward, all of salvation is wrapped up in the powerful work of Christ alone. His blood shed on the cross is precisely what God required. Our best intentions to add to that only pollute what Christ has done. It is his blood and his blood only that is precious, priceless, and powerful to save. Are you living out a faith which solely rests in Christ alone? Let's pray. God, what can we say other than thank you for Christ? God, may we treasure what your son did for us by giving his life as a sacrifice to be our propitiation. And God, you now call us day in and day out to place our faith in Jesus. 
Lord, we know that by grace we have been called to repent of our sin and to faithfully trust and follow Jesus Christ. God, may we walk hand in hand with your Holy Spirit. Father, may you illuminate the idols in our hearts. May you illuminate the times where we try to add to the work of Christ. Lord, may we serve joyfully. May we engage our Bible study joyfully. May we give to the church joyfully. May we commune in fellowship joyfully. Lord, may we preach joyfully and may we go on missions joyfully and may we uh, be evangelistic in our workplaces and in our schools joyfully, all because of what Christ has done for us. God, we cannot add anything to that. So God, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to rest in the work of Christ. May we forever preach his name only. The name Jesus Christ. Amen.